I invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture, which comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the words that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me, and I in them, bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Many people know that often the best wine is produced in difficult circumstances. High heat limited water, rocky ground, any of these can put a strain on the vines and cause them to produce a high quality fruit. The number of grapes may be intentionally limited, but the flavor is greatly maximized. Some of the very best wine is produced in poor soil with a, a limestone underlay a situation that limits water saturation in the soil. Some winemakers avoid planting vines in this situation. They're looking for a maximum production value of what will probably end up being a fairly ordinary wine. The ambitious winemaker goes to great pains, in some cases, to plant vines in difficult situations expecting the highest quality grape. For this vine, for this, for the vine, it's probably not much fun. The image of the sturdy vine that continues to thrive beyond all challenges that it comes against can be a very helpful one to us. Uh, the branches, the people individually, congregations, even denominations cannot continue to grow and thrive within the body of Christ unless they hold closely to the teachings of Jesus. The guiding principle being the boundless love of God and neighbor. Because of that love, each person, person should seek to bring others into the community and become part of the body of Christ. One pastor put it this way, some of the most spiritually rich times in the church have been when it has been under the greatest difficulty. For the first 300 years of Christianity, it lived and grew on the edges, on the margins of society, much of the time under persecution. To proclaim Jesus as Lord in the time of Caesar meant at certain times death. Today, the Christian church is growing the fastest in Africa, in Asia, and in South America. The decline of Christianity in North America and Europe is well documented. 
Now some want to attribute it to increasingly secular society and dwindling influence. But I think the opposite is true. I think we may have been too comfortable and in control far too long. Have our vineyard conditions simply been too easy? Rich, comfortable soil instead of the more difficult soil that produces the best grapes. Have we become too comfortable with a lot of grapes of ordinary flavor, with lots of churches and members with little discipleship and few changed lives? It's important to remember that the Gospel of John was the last Gospel written, and so the Christian movement had had a little time to grow. There seems to have been a problem in the community that John was writing to. A problem with people's loyalty and faithfulness, which John is trying to address. I've read in some commentaries that the word true or truth occurs 35 times in the Gospel of John. The verb abide, like the phrase bear fruit, appears over and over and over again, eight times in just four verses that I read just a minute ago. And it will be repeated later in this chapter as we learn that abiding in Jesus means abiding in Christ's love. Abiding is very, very important to John. You may remember the story from John chapter 14 about there are many rooms in my father's house. Well, those rooms are actually abiding places. So the vine image is another way of talking about abiding places, places where one is deeply at home. And both the vine and the abiding places are ways of talking about love. We're just branches ourselves. We're not vines, and we're certainly not in charge of the vine. To the outside world and to onlookers, the dead branches trimmed away are in the same pile as the pruned branches. Of course, I also believe in second chances, and I would like the chance to reroot once pruned, but rerooting is a different sermon for a different senior Sunday. What does it really mean, though, to abide in Jesus? The relationship of abiding means that we can't do it alone. It's no secret that one can be deeply involved in things of the church in publicly meaningful ways, and yet activities may not be so connected to Christ. In that case, the vine grower eventually gets around to pruning such branches. The possibilities of going it alone, when we go it alone, it can be very inviting sometimes. However, alone in your spiritual life can result in some bad things, can be devastating. It's easy to read this pruning message and this passage as a threat or even a judgment. But really, it's the word promise that comes to mind. Jesus is offering these words to the disciples on the evening of his crucifixion. He knows what's going to happen both to him and to them. They are about to be cut down by his crucifixion and death, 
And he is assuring them that they will survive and they will flourish. Also, there is the community that John writes saying, by the time that they hear these words, they have already been scattered. Some of them will have been kicked out of their synagogues and they have plenty of reason to feel abandoned. But John writes to assure them that this is just a pruning for more abundant fruit in life. It's important to remember that even in the midst of uncertainty, Jesus invites us, Jesus even promises us that he will not abandon us, but rather will cling to us like a vine clings to a tree so that we endure, so that we persevere and even flourish. David Luce uh, is a pastor and he puts it this way. If Jesus had only said abide in me or else, that would be a different matter. But it's not. Abide in me, says Jesus, as I abide in you. And th this is more than good advice. This is an invitation. It's a promise that no matter what happens, Jesus will be with us. That no matter what happens, Jesus will hold on to us. That no matter what happens, God and Jesus will bring all good things out to an end. Which is not to say, by the way, that everything happens for a reason. Rather, it's a way to say that no matter what happens, we have God's promise in Jesus to work for good. But let's also be honest. Life is not easy. We can confess that life can be hard. And at times it's helpful to hear once again that the suffering that we endure is not wasteful cutting, but pruning for a more abundant future. And that no matter what happens, Jesus will not abandon us. We are not on our own. We are never alone. And remember, Jesus doesn't say, I am the vine and you are my one and only branch. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Popular theologian, uh, Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber, says vines and branches off of vines are all tangled and messy. And it's just too hard to know what is what. If I'm going to bear fruit... I want it to be attributed to my branch. If I'm too tangled up with other vines and branches, I might not get the credit for that fruit. So not only are we dependent on Jesus, but our lives are uncomfortably tangled up together. The Christian life, she says, is a viney, branchy, jumbled mess of us, Jesus, and others. An Anglican clergyman serving a small parish near Cambridge, uh, England. His name was John Ernest Bode. And he had three children, two daughters and a son. And it came time for their confirmation. It came time for their confirmation and he wrote a hymn for that occasion as he was about to confirm his children. Telling the children that the hymn included all of the important truths that I want you to remember. You'll know the song. Oh, Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. 
Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. I shall not fear the battle, for thou art by my side, nor wander from the pathway if thou wilt be my guide. Oh, let me feel thee near me. The world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw thou nearer and shield my soul from sin. Oh, let me hear thee speaking in accents clear and still above the storms of passion, the murmurs of self-will. Oh, speak to reassure me, to hasten or control. Oh, speak and make me listen, thou guardian of my soul. And then the last verse goes like this. Oh, Jesus, thou hast promised to all who follow thee that where thou art in glory, there shall thy servant be. And Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Oh, give me grace to follow my master and my friend. Upon hearing this song, Reverend Dr. Alice McKenzie, who is a, a professor at Perkins School of Theology in Dallas, she wrote, Jesus dwells in and with us and asks that we dwell in and with him. Jesus promises us and asks us to respond with a promise of our own. It's always a present tense promise. It's always a present tense promise. Again, Jesus repeatedly used the word abide to describe that relationship of the vine and the branches. One of Jesus' key appeals in John's gospel is that the disciples abide in me, which also translates, make your home with me, stick with me. And this sticking with, this, this, this homing, this abiding union with Jesus' life, it results in that outpouring of fruit of outreach and discipling. Nothing can prevent that abiding and nothing can prevent a severing of that relationship. Paul in his letter to the Romans speaks of the inability of any oppressive force to break his spirit and silence this message. If God is for us, Paul writes, who can be against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, Paul writes. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor rulers or things are present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. One of the difficulties in living in our age is that we're offered a lot of things as substitutes for honest-to-goodness relationships. And, and while they may be pretty good at what they're designed for, they're not actual relationships. But Christ calls us into relationship with Him. And we are called into relationship with each other as the body of Christ. Again, this was Jesus' chance to say, when I'm gone, when I'm gone, don't forget to talk about me. To do the things we did together like heal, like feed the poor, serve the good news. 
Remember, Jesus' final words were not a to-do list. Instead, Jesus asks to abide, to stay, to dwell, to remain, to, do, to endure, to just be present. Seniors, just a reminder to you, we are intertwined, knotty, messy branches sometimes. Well, not just sometimes, most of the time. And we are just created to be that way. But regardless, I hope you'll hold in your hearts that nothing can separate us, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. My prayer for you is that you continue to walk with Jesus, abiding in Him as He already abides in you. And to remember that you can always come home. It's never goodbye. It's just see you later. And the most important thing is to remember that you are loved. Amen.